Robinson, a show. Stop it! I'm a little hoarse, as you might have guessed. Welcome, my friends, to a show that seemingly almost never ends. Yes, Robson Showstopper. I'm your host, DGNS Robinson. Welcome to version one and nine, two. The DGNS Robson Showstopper. Reasons to be thankful, which is a uh, derivation. Of the uh, Ian Dury and the Blockhead song, Reasons to be Cheerful. A one, a two, a three. Yeah, you might have noticed something a little bit different about the setup. We'll get into that right after. Bob Riley, Stigmata, sings us in as he has since 2007. The band is called Stigmata. Song is called Intro All of Nothing. Off the record, Calling of the Just. Still available for Revelation Records uh, in Huntington Beach, California. Go to hear your car with a hammer. See you at the nightclub and run your mayor pro out of town. Order it or just enjoy it here. Listen, listen well. I'm on my way back to I'm taking a real good look at you. So being paid back and forth, always nothing. Mm, welcome, my friends. You showed it. Oh, oh, you're gonna give me that ego. Uh, give me a hard time. Show that uh, that almost nearly never ends. Um, yeah. Okay. Listen. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, uh, what is that? January 23rd, 2002. It's the episode of Strap Gunner Save the Date. Did I? Hmm, hmm, hmm. Anyway, I guess I got some explaining to do. We'll get to that in a second. Except to note that suddenly that my background looks very Lincoln Rockwell-esque, if you know what I mean. Something about the white and the black and the red seems to recall a Nazi rally, if anything. I, I guess I'm not helped by here by, by Mr. Peanut. That's what I call him, Mr. Peanut. Mr. Peanut came was a gift from a, a guy named, a writer named Ryan Kent. And Ryan Kent said, would you write the book blurb for my book? My book coming out. I said, I'll be glad to. And I start waiting. Like the guys in those old detective stories. I start waiting like, uh, yeah, I can't remember if I have the time maybe. 
And finally, he says, well, you know, what can I do to remunerate you for your efforts? I, you know, I give you cash. I go, cash, cash. That's for pikers. We don't need cash. You know, give me something that you think I'll like. And so, Mr. Peepers, is it stainless steel or is it silver? I guess it depends really on how much you like me. Of course, I need to make modifications of this uh, uh, to my modifications to my specification. Because <laughs> clearly I don't need, well, actually, I do need a can't help. Okay? <laughs> After the Oxbow show, which is why I'm hoarse, it might help. But I also, as you well can imagine, that I, I might use it for more than just sticks and walking. That's right. That's right. So anyway, this is true, but this doesn't explain why I'm here. But let's get the commercials out of the way so we could just start the show. Pinko95014 at yahoo.com is a PayPal address. Eugene-Robinson-28, I believe, is either PayPal or is easy is uh Cash App or Venmo, I can't remember which. Patreon.com slash the stomper. That I can remember now. Suddenly I can remember that. Or just do it Tommy LB's way. Tommy Pounds, always on the stick. Got something from him today. Thank you, Tommy. Went to, well, I actually went to the post office yesterday. Thanks. Thanks for that. Uh, it, it got me a tank, half a tank of gas, if truth be told. Um, so those are the commercials. Donate if you want. I'm I'm spending less time on commercials because now I got a gig again. I got a job. I don't mind using my employer to pay for the show. Um, but if 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 things sink to zero, I'm going to assume nobody's watching and leave. That's just that's not a threat. That's just you know. I'm sure we all got better things to do with our time. Anyway, thank you for showing up tonight, Sunday. For those of you who care to listen to it live, we're here. So uh, um. <laughs> Yeah, we haven't played Thousand with Georgie yet. We have played with uh, Elide Bradley, uh, who was being positioned for a period of time as the British Courtney Love. You know how, like, we come out with Nirvana here, and then they come out initially. Radiohead was like a uh, Radiohead was like a uh, a, uh, a, uh, a Nirvana copy. So then they have Courtney Love, and they say, "Well, we need a Courtney Love." So Elide Bradley was was um, was being groomed to be and they gave her a crap load of money which she promptly used to buy a house outside of manchester and then she fell apart and in 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 a nirvana-esque way you know uh it wasn't drugs that that did her in uh i don't think i mean she recorded a record with steve albini you know a la um which is how i met her a la uh, nirvana and um she started having mental health issues uh, and I didn't realize at first. I said, wow, she's this great musician. We should do a project together. So we started to do work on a project together. And then halfway through the project, it was like, why are you stealing my songs? Nah, man. Okay, I'm out. All right. And then uh, emails were like, Steve Albini is communicating with me. Uh, and I go, read this and you tell me he's not taking the piss out of me. And so I read it exhaustively. It's Steve Albini's uh, Italian recipes page. I said, it's a recipes page. And she's like, what were you reading with? Okay. 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 Um, and then she told me some fantastical stories, some of which are partially true. She told me that David Lee Roth tried to rape her. 
they played some show together at some festival and he got on the tour bus and tried to rape her. She told me that, um, I don't remember the rumor about Odd Future. Um, she also told me that my friend Harley Flanagan from the Cro-Mags, they had played a festival together, also tried to rape her. Well, I don't have ready access. Um, I don't have ready, I'll write her name in the comments. I don't have ready access to David Lee Roth, but um, I do have ready access to to uh, our Harley Flanagan. So I called him um, and uh, uh, there you go. Um, I called him and uh, of course, if you, if you Google her now, you'll be ahead of the story. Um, and he said, and rather than even address it, he just said, I did lots of foul shit in the day, Eugene. I, I don't know, <laughs> you know, which I thought was probably the way I would have dealt with it had I done something like that. But you know, so those I, I, I don't know whether those were true or not. And then of course she's the one who told me that Dwayne Dennison from Jesus Lizard was talking shit about me, which is why I was going to beat Dwayne Dennison up. I said, "Oh, you want to go junior high on me? I'll go junior high on you. Meet you after lunch." And so finally I track him down at this festival, and. He shakes my hand and I do the whole bully thing of holding on to the hand way too long. And the next one was going to be a slap across the face until somebody, Kevin Rudamanis from his band, who was in the band Tomahawk with him, said, Eugene, oh, man. And so it was it was like it was like ah, slap in the face. Eagle, eagle, slap in the face, eagle. He's like, you just, you're great. This is Oxford Sky from, I was, and I was like, go. I did slap him in the face. And I told him later, I was about to slap you in your mouth, you know? He's like, well, I'm glad you didn't do that. He goes, why? And I told him why. Well, he had met her at a party and she said, I, I talked to Eugene from Oxbow. And he goes, oh, you mean that contrived guy? And she goes, well, he said to say hi. And then she told me the story. So some of the stuff she told me was true. Some stuff she didn't tell me was true. I mean, who knows if it was true or not? I don't know. Maybe she he was sending her messages through the, the Italian recipes page. However, this is a long way of saying to Mr. JW that she is the only person to uh, have played live and sang that song. And that was one of her favorite songs. If you if you've Googled her, you see that she died uh, alone in a house, her body not having been found for 30 days. Um, and uh so that's so ends valentine's and i tried to set her up if you want a stranger story i tried to set her up with a friend of mine because at the time she was telling me that her next door neighbor would come over um and she was friendly with the guy and and this was semi-consensual he would come over pull his pants down and put his anus in her face and uh and demand that she uh uh rim him okay and she didn't mind doing this and it was that's not why she was telling me um he was married and had children and lived next door and this was the extent of this sexual interaction um but uh she was telling me by way of how come i can't get a boyfriend and i said well i know a guy you know I, and i recommended a friend of mine and of course you know <laughs> He uh, he writes her and says, uh, hey, uh, how you doing? Uh, you know, I want to send you a picture of my penis. <laughs> now, maybe that wasn't maybe that wasn't the, you know, the smartest move, <laughs> the most deaf move out the box. But what was funny is what happened next. And she said, like, no, thank you. So apparently 
rimming a next door neighbor who doesn't really talk to you outside of his desire to be rimmed is okay. But <laughs> my friends, <laughs> Uche request to send the penis shot, pursue it to him flying over and Sigur, I guess that, that was a bridge too far. <laughs> I know lots of people don't like to get penis photos. <laughs> they don't like to get them. They don't, they don't like to get them. They just don't like to get them. I, I find that very hard to believe. <laughs> uh, but I, I digress all over the place. All over the place. You can thank Mr. JW for that. So um, we've done the commercials. Explanation for why I'm in the hot box, because it is hot in this room which is good because that's the way I want it. I, I, no, no, no. This is the way I want it. I'm not passing out. So um, uh, uh, I have more than one room in my house. And uh, given the lateness of the hour, it's uh, impossible to, uh, or, uh, 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 it doesn't work so much to take the kid to the park when it's dark and cold. I see a lot of other kids in the dark, cold park. In fact, what you see are uh, uh, guys in wheelchairs with cameras. I'm not kidding. Uh, single guys doing push-ups, uh, uh, shirtless, and chin-ups in the kids' portion of the playground. And other various acts of dereliction that you don't want to subject your kid to. So uh, she's here, and uh, the living room is... It, it, Somebody's got to be locked in a room and the, the rest of the, the joints being uh, cleaned. So that is why I am here. In a, and let's call it, uh, if you're a big fan of Oxbow, let's call it um, Smoke Room. <laughs> if, if you, I'll tell you, I'll give you something free. If you tell me what, you don't even have to tell me. It means you got like a one in eight chance, one in nine chance. Tell me what record that line is off of. And I'll give you something for free. Ugh, I just hate the way that sounds for free. Anyway, I'm in a good mood. I'm in a giving mood. So yes, for free. If you tell me what record Oxbow record that comes off of. So uh, so here we are. Version 192. And um, so I've explained why I'm here. We've done the commercials. And and so now uh, uh, beyond that, I'll explain why why I'm hoarse. And one, what I have to be thankful for. Uh, I will have a lot to be thankful Oh, you prick. <laughs> JW gets it. <laughs> All right. Well, DM me your address and I'll, I'll send you something. <laughs> I spoke too soon. Uh, oh, you're guessing now. Well, you guessed right the first time. Don't ruin it. <laughs> don't, don't, don't ruin it. Just DM me your address. So, um... So I've been having, I've been, uh, I mean, if you've been following this, the Substack, and you should have your current one now, um, you might have de detected a bit of um, psychological discomfort. If you're, if you're attuned to the world of Eugene S. Robinson, you might have detected psychological discomfort. Now they said in, li in life that some things are super stressful like allowing for class, age, geography, whatever. So there's some things that are super successful and will never fail to be so. Moving. If you've ever moved, you know it's super successful. I hate it. And not for the re I used to be a professional mover. That's one of the reasons why I might hate it. But um, it also, something that people never talk about when you move, and I used to, I, I peeped this when I was 
uh, moving furniture professionally is that it forces you to people to reevaluate their lives. I'll never forget this, this one woman and all her books. You could see that her books had started from a place of great hope, you know, as, as we're loading her books into boxes and a great hope. And then, I mean, I'm not even kidding. The last book was like living alone and loving it. <laughs> I mean, I could see, I could see the spiral, the downward spiral of her life through her books, you know? And if I could see it, I know damn well she could see it as I'm packing these sad reminders into boxes and she's standing around making sure I don't pilfer any of them, right? This is the life of a professional mover. And then, and then God forbid, the most terrifying, the most terrifying, uh, yeah, exactly. It's miserable and highly stressful. And the saddest moment as a professional mover is when you, because no matter how re ready, ready, they're never ready. They're never. And so then you, you know, you, you, you fucking, you know, and like, I would try to give them a chance. Are you ready for us to move the bed? Yeah. Yeah. Are you ready for us to move the bed? Yeah. 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 Lift up the bed. Okay, fine. If it's a dude, typically what you find between the mattress and the box string were porno mags. And I was like, I gave you chances, bro. What are you thinking? The whole family stand around and all of a sudden the guy's got chic, you know, uh, uh, honey buns and, and, and legs magazine. It's like, come on, bro. I, I felt embarrassed for him. I just kind of discreetly took them like the parish priest and put them to the side, right? So, a, um, but this, this is a woman... So I peel the mattress off the bed spring, no problem. Peel the bed spring up. Oh, and there's the shoebox under the bed with a variety of vibrators and dildos. I'm not embarrassed. I don't give a shit. I'm like a priest. My I'm your hands here, you know. Um, but she was embarrassed, you know, and uh, and that made the move even worse after that because of the, the embarrassment. So it's highly stressful having a kid. No matter age, weight, whatever, highly stressful. You're starting a new job, also highly stressful. So these are three things. I'm not moving. I did start a new job. If you've been reading the Substack, you know. Yeah, Core is about 16 months old in a few days. So yeah, I'm not really, it's not new, but it's still, I mean, it's new for one of us, right? So it's not really new for me, but she's still a relatively new kid. Um, but deeper than that deeper than that is this thing that's niggling at me like i don't know if i talked about last week the law i think i did the lawyer lurking in the front yard if you haven't heard the lawyer lurking in the front yard raise your hand and i'll give you a thumbnail sketch oh yeah great so between the two of you one moving and if you guys were living together you'd be in hell now uh, um, except now they say with this great resignation thing that workers are in a position where they haven't been before, you know, they like the line from the, uh, uh, song by the adolescents goes trash beyond belief to show the kids don't want to learn. Fuck it. Fuck it. Great resignation. People starting jobs and two weeks later going, fuck you don't want to do it. It's musical chairs. And all of a sudden everybody's refusing to sit down, not put my ass in your chair. Don't want to go to your board meeting. Yeah, that's all well and good for the rest of you. I need time. I need time. Because we really had time. I'm quoting Joy Division now. We never really had time. I remember. Okay. Um, so uh, 
if I, if I didn't cover the story, I think JW got to the show late last week. I covered it at the beginning. I'm sitting here in the smoke room, which I is it's my like Eagles eerie, right? The redoubt. And, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm peeking out through and I see, I see some guy out by, out by the, uh, out by the, the gate. Now I'm expecting somebody to come pick up the car because they have this service. If you're less than five miles away and it's for your, your, your periodic maintenance, they'll come pick up the car. So I go, he seems to be a little bit older. I go out, you know, it's not the demographic, but what do I know? And he goes, are you Eugene Robinson? I go, can I help you? He goes, are you Eugene Robinson? I go, can I help you? He goes, yeah, I'm a, uh, you know, I'm part of a federal investigation into malpractice, financial uh, fraud and, and malfeasance. And I go, and who are you working for? He goes, I can't tell you that. Did I, 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 have I told the story before? I don't remember if I did or not. So I, I don't want to, feel free to down a shillelagh me on my own show on this count if you've heard it before. So I go, uh, you can't tell me who you're working for. He goes, I want to ask you, did you uh, work at Ozzy? Uh, I said, that's a matter of public record that, uh, uh, of course, I don't want to cop to me being me. That that I, I'm a professional journalist and may, may have worked there, you know. Um, and he goes, well, can I ask you a few other questions? Um, I said, you're really going to have to send those questions to my attorney. And he's like, your attorney. And he starts doing like fed stuff to me. Like I, I give him my attorney's name and he asks me again, either to see if I'm just making it up, lying, if it changes. He says, and he's in Redwood city, right? I guess I never said he was in Redwood city. And I said, where's his office? His office in Los Altos, I believe. He goes, you don't know? It's COVID. COVID. I don't have to go to his office to have the service of a lawyer. I got a Zoom. Call him. So you should talk to him. You have questions for me, you go through him. And he's like, huh, okay. He says, might I say? Yeah, if you li- I maybe I only talked about this on Twitter. And he said, might I say you're much more handsome in person than you are in your photos? I go, well, flattery will get you everywhere. How about giving me your name? And he said, you know, and I'm looking at him now and I'm doing, you know, it's poker tells. His face is a rictus of ticks. He's nervous as shit. Pupils dilated. You know, I can see my back is to the sun. Sun's in his face. Pupils dilated. He goes, well, I'll tell you, my name is Cook. Good day, sir. And he disappears. Like, I don't even see the car he came in, nothing. I'm standing 10 feet away. I don't know what the guy has. You know, and sadly, sadly, I had to reach on me, <laughs> but my shoulders are so tired from jujitsu, so sore. I realized that if I had to, if I had to get to reach the idea, get my hand all the way to the small of my back and then back in a timely fashion, it, <laughs> I just need to, yeah, I was taking a real good look at his face, but then I realized I need to, I need to change my placement for an older gun toter. <laughs> So what he was counting on is the fact that I wouldn't remember his first name and all I would have is his last name before he disappeared. But the reality of it is I have a friend named David Brooks. So the David part, I thought maybe he was somehow connected. So it was my mnemonic device. So I remember David, he filled me in with the last name, Crook, a cook, sorry, David Cook. And I find that he works for a place called Guidepost or Guidepost International. You can look him up, you can see him there. And he is a former FBI guy. And he, their company is involved, it looks like, on the plaintiff's side 
uh, doing investigations about uh, financial fraud and malfeasance. I'm not entirely clear that the spies that you always heard me talking about that I'm sure led you to believe that I was crazy, that those spies haven't retained his services for whatever reason. It was very complicated. But that's kind of what I was dealing with uh, uh, last week. All right. Lawyers. Uh, uh, um, uh, so, so, uh, um, so yes. So to get to get back on track here, that was a digression. Uh, the kid. So, but I've been. I mean, part of the disquiet, the, the psychological disquiet, has been a combination of some of the new job, the you know, the kid, and the. But then this this lurking this lurking menace because of course I'm always paranoid because you have a reason to be. Keep in mind, people go, Yuji, you're crazy. Really? Have you forgotten the story where I gave the Manson family my address in a fit of anger and told them, "You want to come get me? Here I am. Do your best." The, I guess you've forgotten that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been taunting and running running with a crowd of people most people wouldn't taunt for a long time, you know, a long time. And I have to say, I got some of them have been murdered in the, in the interim, and I feel generally a lot better that they're not with us anymore. That some of them were nice people, but they just, you know, if you're friends with a tiger, you probably breathe a little easier if you know the tiger is no longer among us. Yeah. These were mistakes in a sober moment of reflection. So I'm a, you know, I got, I got a little bit of paranoia happening, justifiable paranoia happening, um, and, and and this is part of it, All right? Uh, so so um, so I got the lawyers lurking in the front yard, looking through the bushes. I got the new job. I got the, the kid, and, and and but uh, so I've been kind of unseated, you know. I mean, I, and I can feel. It, it, and then you have like you have like family members who are starting shit with me on Thanksgiving, you know. Um, again, it's a, it's a, you know it's the the, the the third wife curse, right? Uh, ex uh, uh, my my mother's second husband, the guy who I call my stepfather since he raised me from the age of five to eighteen, and we're still connected. Third wife busting my balls about something that happened in two thousand and seventeen. As you can imagine, I don't believe I was in the wrong. You know, if the only time you come to see me is you come with your hand out, you might expect that I'm, there's going to be a little pushback on that. Well, I understand. You know, I, I want to talk to you. She, she's a little miffed. I've been waiting for this miffed moment. I haven't talked to this woman for 10 years. So, uh, you know, the path of the righteous man is beset on all sides with the iniquity of the evil. But then there's something else. There's something else that's lurking. Can't put my finger on it. Just this quiet, sleeping badly, get aches and pains that are not jujitsu related. I'm at practice. I'm, where's the phone? Yeah. I'm at practice, and I'm, I'm I'm fingering through the phone, the Oxbow phone, because because what? Because because what? I'm fingering through the Oxbow phone because because I can't remember the lyrics. Now you know, yeah, I I I know that happened to a certain degree to Frank Sinatra in, in his dotage, right? I know that Frank Sinatra in his dotage had had problems, right? He couldn't remember, and he had the had a, a, the, the the jumbotron uh, playing the jumbotron playing the lyrics. You know, Oxbow has over sixty songs in the songbook. You know, it's not that easy. 
And the songs that we toured a lot on, of course, I remember better than the ones off the last two records, even if they were 10 years ago. So like, I'm, I'm, so I realized, I, I guess I'm sort of gripping over the show with Lydia Lunch. We were offered, also offered a big festival in Texas and I wanted to go. And the drummer was like, nah, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to go. And I was like, yeah, you never want to tour anywhere. And he goes, it's COVID and it's fucking Texas. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I could die. I could die. Need to breathe to sing. So I, I don't mind that. But then, okay, Lydia Lunch. And then I start to have the bad brain syndrome. The worst show I ever played was with Whipping Boy when we opened up for the bad brains. Bad brains got in my head. Got in my head. It's like go, getting into the cage with Johnny Boney Joni and running across the ring and punching yourself in the face. Also a great book by Harry Cruz, the knockout artist. Don't read anything about Harry Cruz because inevitably his friendship with Madonna and Sean Penn will make itself known to you and you'll be disgusted. That also disgusted me. Harry Cruz was great. I can't believe they're letting his books go uh, discontinued, but you can still find the Gypsy's Curse in the library or my house, but don't try it. So there's a, there's a, there's a, so I'm, I mean, Lydia, Lydia has been a major, Lydia Lunch has been a major influence for a long time. I mean, um, I remember looking, stalking her back in 77. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around a, a person where, you know, you, you at a certain age, you're more susceptible to perceptions of cool than you are. Like now somebody says, hey, Eugene, you should really pay. This is really cool. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm making a jerk off sign in the air. Yeah, it's cool. Whatever. I don't even think I'm cool at this age, whatever. There's, there's that very little that at this point approaches cool for me. But at 17, 16, 17, I get into punk rock, 1977, coolest shit around. And, and, and over the course of the years, the more that I like, you know, uh, ran away from home at 13, this has been it. This has been, her mother said, you know, where are you going? Said, I'm gonna work on my career. This is at 13. No senior prom, high school, none of that. School of the streets, so long, sucker. Made it pay. Hardest working woman in show business right now. Over your Chelsea Wolves, over your Emma Ruth Rundells. It's not a competition, I know. I like the grinders. The grinders. So, okay, so so I got this this air, psychological air of disquiet, you know, over, over new job, young kid, got to show COVID, I'm sort of panicking, and I'm developing what I'm thinking of psychosomatic illnesses, and I have to say they're psychosomatic because the day after the show, I don't have them. The bursa on my right elbow that's been making my elbow, I don't feel it now. The back of my heels where it felt like people were sticking knives in, I still feel that a little bit. <laughs> I, that is uh, a common too much running in bad shoes, which I still haven't bounced back from. I was I was losing my mind. So uh, we we show up at the, at the at the venue uh, yesterday, and this is what I write in the Substack. So you can for those of you who are not fond of reading, I'll just give you the Reader's Digest version. And uh, I put on some shoe, the most comfortable shoe. Like I'm picking comfortable shoes. They look bitching, you know. They're straight out of Flatbush, believe me. They're like two-tone patent leather, white tops, black sides, snip toe. 
Oops, stay out of Flatbush. Uh, um, and uh, I can turn that heat off. I it's hard to walk. It's hard. All the stairway is hell. And uh, sound check. And, uh, you know, I've got to chase the kid around. She heads for the Well, let's take it downstairs so you can see the backstage room. And I'm like, I can't. I, man, this is going to be. And I start to realize I've played over maybe a thousand shows in my lifetime. More than that, if you take in the movies and TV and commercials and all that stuff, right? So I, I'm not going through, this is not, this is not, this is not stage fright. And this is not performance anxiety. I mean, you know, I, I usually play extremely sober, but I have been known to ingest a whole bunch of LSD and get on stage, allegedly. And still been able to make it through the show successfully. I don't know if you could do that flying an airplane. I'm not going to try. So, um, um, and it was a long time ago in my impetuous 20s. So, uh, uh, I don't know if, uh, uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing a Eugene Robinson version of losing my mind, freaking out. Yeah. You know. I've had 27 people I know die from COVID. You know, one the guy told me most recently uh, called me Thursday. I'm trying to sell, help this guy sell his story. His stepfather was the son of a Nazi and became a New York cop. And is the one who discovered the Gemini twins out in Brooklyn, who the guys who were uh, running the uh, at the Gemini Club, the murder machine with Roy DeMeo's crew get people down in the basement, throw a towel over the head, shoot them in the head, dismember the bodies in the tub there, and drop the bodies around East New York. He refused to play ball in a serpical-like fashion, and then he was found shot himself in an alley outside of a bar right after he had called his girlfriend and said, I'm too drunk to walk. He did an autopsy and found out that he was indeed had so much alcohol in his system that he was too drunk to walk. Clearly, they carried him out back and shot him in the head. The son of the Nazi, the, the uh, upstanding cop who could do no wrong, and was going to bust these guys no matter what. These guys are in prison. The guy who was writing the book contacted them. I couldn't get them to contact me, but uh, he contacted them, and the guy said, you know what? I don't talk to cops. I don't talk about cops. So they declined to participate in his book, but he tells me a story about his uncle who died on a Zoom call with him. I'm COVID. So I got plenty of reasons to have anxiety, as we all do. But we're all not getting on stage to play a show. You know, so, 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 you know, a, uh, you know, Oxford's got a record coming out. We're in the middle of a record that I can guarantee you is going to be better than Thin Black Duke, which is hard for a lot of people because Thin Black Duke was like the apotheosis of Oxford musical development for a lot of people. So this is part of it. This is part of the long look. Can't have people writing reviews that the show sucks now. I got to And so what I'm up against, what I'm up against is this real fear of finitude. We've talked about this on the show before. We, If you were to chart your life, for many of us, and this is a painful thing to think about, for many of us, the high point 
happened back there. It's in the rearview mirror. What's even more painful is that most of us won't realize when that was. When you were at the top, mentally, mental acuity, physical abilities, when when your body was actually not dying, that for sure was behind you. Not maybe not you, for me, 100%. Now, I remember giving a speech to a Muslim youth group, a Muslim men's group, and it was about uh, longevity. And I came up with a theory that's subsequently been been, uh, 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 validated by real people, scientific scientists. (laughs) And that you can trick your body by creating um, crisis and uh, crisis moments, flexion points for your body. You can trick your body into thinking it's needed and therefore needs to stay like, like, for example, has it dawned on you why, like, say, a 25 year old man might be at the height of his muscle mass strength development? You know why? Because of guys like me. It, 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 I, I, I have the, I have the smarts to be able to, and the skills to be able to run laps around a 25 year old guy with any 25 year old woman that he might desire to, to get with. I'm just talking theoretically. There's, if you're 25 years old, you probably you're you're, you're probably going to be outgamed by a guy like me. But if I'm an average 59 year old man, a 25 average 25 year old guy might be able to, to kick my ass. You're going to need to, to get a handhold in the genetic pool. You're going to need to. At this point now, my body's like, hmm, and I could feel a change in my body when I generated offspring. It's like my genes were saying, fuck you, we don't, whatever, we'll do whatever. Hey, I think I want to go sky there. Why did I go ahead to, hey, I think I'm going to go challenge it. Yeah, go do whatever you want. <laughs> Your genes just don't care. You know, they, they know we got off this sinking ship. We're safe. You know, you can just feel it. You can feel your body make that decision. So the idea, your high point is behind you. You know, that means that now what you're doing is yeah, people try to own this process by saying, we're gonna have a we're gonna have a bucket list uh, and try to make it fun. We gotta do things that we have to do. We gotta do things that we have to do before we die. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. <laughs> Let's go the other way with that. There are things you can start checking off the list that you're never gonna do again. I'm never gonna play rugby with 300 pound Samoans again, successfully again. I don't I don't know about your sexual habits and doings. You know, uh, appetites and so on, but I will no longer have sex eight times a night again. <laughs> That's in the rearview mirror. I'd like to think it's not, just like I like to think I could get in there and play rugby with 300 pounds Samoans, but you know, and I know that's unlikely to happen. There's only one way to find out, but <laughs> go back to stressor point one. So so then I said, how how do I know? How do I know this is not it? How do I know that, that my last Oxbow show is a brick wall that's upstairs? I can't move my legs, my elbows, getting, and they give you free food at this venue. I feel like my liver's about to explode. What did they put in this? Why do I always get fucked up by this vegan food? What are they putting in it? Mercury? 
right? Mercury. You got to be, I get up. So, uh, uh, so now I'm downstage and our dressing room is really porous because people like to hang out there. So they open, they come, close the door, close the door, close the door, close the door. Close the door. I, I, can't, I, I find a room in the dressing room and a room I can close the door and be alone. That's where I took the photo that I used. It's also the same photo at the end of the piece. So, it, yeah, you saw maybe saw clips of it. So, uh, unless you were there, Tommy Pounds. So, um, finally, I tell the guy, a uh, uh, roadie, or sometimes a roadie, say, hey, man, you know, the guitar player is always fucking around. I don't want to get upstairs and not stand around with my thumb up my ass. When I come out, it's showtime, right? So, text me when it's five minutes from the end. So, he texts me, got your five minute warning. I go, all right. When I come up, and I don't even want to go up the main staircase because I don't want to see people to see me walking up the stairs like this fucking old man that I am. I don't want I don't want nobody needs to see this. So I find this kind of secret stairwell that's right off our dressing room, right? And I take it up and I'm having to use the handrails to get up. My knees are screaming, ankles screaming, lower back is screaming, the arm is screaming. I get up and it brings me up to the stage, uh, to the guitar player side, stage left by where the soundboard is, the stage sound guy. And I stand there for a few seconds, collect my thoughts. And I go, you know, this is a moment. We talk about this with the oofsie a lot because you don't have a lot of professions where you realize in the middle of performing that profession that you're done, that you're done. And there's no coming back from done. There's no talking your way out of dumped. You are done. I climb the stairs and it feels like I'm climbing the stairs to, to the gallows. I'm not kidding you. And what's making the, the, the histrionics worse is that I haven't admitted this to myself. I haven't admitted this. So it's like the punch you don't see coming is the worst one. I have not admitted this to myself. I get up on stage and I walk across the stage. And as I'm walking across the stage, I'm vaguely aware of the audience being there. I just walk and I walk right to the other side of the stage. And I was like, loneliness of the long distance runner style. I can just end it right here. Take those stairs down, right out the door. I'm done. I, you know, this goes to, do you want to know you're going to die or do you just want to die? Clearly, I was making the decision. I don't want to know I'm going to die. I just want to die. And then the guitar player like plays some music and I he, he hit something on his guitar that's then mirrored by the bass and the drums. And I was like, gentle into this good night. No, Jackie Wilson did it. I will do it. I will die on this stage. Turn around, it's like the James Brown cape routine. Take off the leather coat, throw the leather coat down, and we rip into a thousand. First line of which is, I want to die, and you want to know why, with life's great parade never ending and riding high, that my life is a curse to me. Song that was sung live by Elide Bradley. So we have a recurring theme. Circular, for those of you who don't think I planned this show out. And the song, We Kill. And I noticed something. I noticed that my heels don't hurt. 
My liver doesn't hurt. My lower back doesn't hurt. My arm doesn't hurt. My neck doesn't hurt. Nothing hurts. I look down, I see Lydia Lunch in the audience. I see Bob Burt used to drum for Sonic Youth as her drummer now. Mm hmm. Yeah. See everybody. Take a real good look at their face. And I'm like, having an audience to die in front of, most of us don't even get that. We played for 51 minutes, thanked the audience, announced that Lydia Lunch and Retrovirus would be next, and walked the fuck off of there. Get back down to the dressing room, partially change, which means in my case, put my clothes back on. I walk up the stairs with an area of pain. And I thought like what you said, I thought the, the, it was the adrenaline and it would have, you know, I got to sleep very late. That's why I'm tired today. Because guess what? The newborn doesn't give a shit. <laughs> she did love sound check though, but got up earlier than I would have liked. A little tired. And the moment is when I stand up from the floor where I sleep and I don't hear cracking knees. My heels are not bound up. My arm, I feel great. I feel great. So like I told the, the Muslim men's group about how you have to trick your body in into, into a survivability phase. Stress, a certain amount of stress, a certain kind of stress keeps your body alive. Psychological stress does not. Physical stress, which leads your body to believe, hey, we're needed to defend again. I don't know what this guy's dealing with, but he, he needs us. He, he, he needs to knock out some 25-year-old. I don't know. Keep it up. Don't die. Let those telomeres lengthen. Nothing. No pain. Sat down during her nap, wrote the substack. Woke up early, talked to Steph for Care Don't Care, because you got the Jose Aldo fight coming up. Sorry, I picked against him for those that don't want to cheat care, don't care. I only had four cares on the card. That was one of them. We used to have a 75% reason to keep watching the show on Monday afternoon. Excuse me. I feel fine. I feel fine. This could be one of those hold my beer moments. So where it's like, I feel fine. I feel... But honest to God... I do feel fine. I've come to the conclusion that uh, my mind was trying to kill me. You know, you got like Topo Gigio, you have all these plates spinning. But you're trying to keep these plates going, you know, and the mind is like, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it. Let's just let let, let, let a plate go. Let's, you'll be better off without a plate. You don't need all these plates. Just let, no. No, do not go gentle into this. Good night, sirs, ma'ams, will not, shall not, cannot, we will not do what they want to do what they say. Happy Hanukkah to you all. Now, now, 
Now, uh, as for the oofsie, I've actually come to, yeah, you, oh, Tommy Pound is in my mind there. Um, I, I have come to a new conclusion. I, I have come to a new conclusion about um, the beast slouching toward Jerusalem, uh, as I quote William Blake, and, and the possible savior of the sport that we love. And I think, I think, I think as independent jujitsu competitions get to be more widespread, when guys like Gordon Ryan and uh, and Galvao are gonna fight, people are, you know where ADCC. Yeah, okay, I know ADCC is still sort of part of of Zufa, or are they own part of it? Um, they are not directly under control by uh, the bald one. I don't know if it's a subsidiary, but I know he he has those do it. So the, so as that gets, so I can enjoy. I can get the same buzz for the bank. I mean, this is like, this is like realizing that, you know, that your drugs are not going to dry up. You've got a different source. I can watch Gordon Craig and Gavao and get my grappling jollies off. And then I can watch this new triad thing, which is actually uh, new modified rules for uh, boxing, um, boxing versus MMA guys. I don't know if you've seen that clip. I mean, I saw the clip at first of Frank Mir and dude, and I thought, well, yeah, of course, you know, Frank Mir's been out of the game for a while. Boxing, you know, you got to be in shape. They got these 10, 12, 15 round engagements. Of course, he's, it was the first round. A guy who's lost twice in his entire career. So he fought. Do you realize that it takes no longer than 13 seconds to get brain damage if you fight a talented boxer? Yeah, exactly, Ryan. Man. Yeah, unbelievable. And, uh, you know, the smarter you are, the more you got to work. To, this is where drink comes in. <laughs> it's probably helpful. Helps you, helps you slow that head down, the head that's trying to kill you. So they've got something there. They've had not so much this other kind of bullshit, whatever, Jake Paul. I mean, Jake Paul is doing a good thing, militating for better, better fighter pay. Uh, and I don't know so much about bare knuckle uh, quite yet, but this modified rules with it, because this is the only way for for MMA guys to really learn to get the slot put out of them. And a lot of, you know, what they call dirty boxing, uh, you know, that they've now sanctioned by these, this new rule set. Uh, it allows, it allows middle ranked uh, middle or mid to low high ranked boxers to actually gain some sort of purchase and, and as well as an afterlife for guys who always thought they were pretty good with their hands in MMA um, but you got to realize that it's actually like some comedian once said, don't you think that TV got it wrong that like they should have started with cable, the thing that you paid for and like fucked up your house. And then they should have gone from free TV instead of from free TV to cable. It's kind of like going from MMA to boxing. It seems like you, what you want to do is go from boxing to MMA because you have many more ways to lose a fight on MMA and boxing. You either lost because they got hit you really hard in the head. Are you lost because the guy hit you really hard in the body? That's it. <laughs> so, and, and Miliata, after Dan Miliata, after that, after that fight that he had where he stopped too soon and people just roasted him for days, he is pretty much, unless he does, unless Mir does owe him money, he has pretty much decided, decided, whatever, I'm not stopping any fights. Not my gig. You're the one who signed the contract. I'm just here to make sure you don't get hurt. Are you hurt yet? Huh? What? And what do you say? 
I can't hear you through the mumbles. I don't speak mumble. Come on. What? Huh? Oh, people are booing now. Okay, stop the fight. <laughs> you will die in there with that guy as your rep. And I love him for it. I'm gonna back up. I'm gonna back me that. You roast him for stopping the fight too soon. Okay. Okay. Welcome to Headtown. So uh um, so so I think I think I think that this is a way that the same buzz it used to get from MMA, I get from the grappling. And I got, and, and honest to God, I could watch Gordon Ryan and Gavao, Mir versus DC, and be out in like half an hour. Instead of these three-hour extravaganzas that, that I'm getting with the UFC where I've got to watch a million commercials if it's not paid or pay-per-view if it is for hours, hours. I got to be called a goof by a guy, a bald guy with a bald billionaire. You know, at least Jeff Bezos gets my packages to my house on time. Another bald billionaire. What is it with billionaires and baldness? Maybe I should shave my head. Maybe it would make me rich. But these are all things to be thankful for. <laughs> to realize that you're not dying. Well, let me rephrase that. That you are dying. <laughs> But the manner in which you die, go back, go to Google, type in the search bar, cowboy scene from Mulholland. Oh, I can never remember. Just say cowboy scene from Mulholland and the rest will come up. It's the best scene from Mulholland Falls or Mulholland Drive. I can never remember the name of the David Lynch movie. Would you say a man's attitude in life to a large degree determines how his life will turn out? This has become, I've been working on memorizing this. This has become my ethos. How many drivers does a buggy have? Well, let's call this a buggy. And I'm driving it. If you fix your attitude, oh my God. I actually tracked down the cowboy actor because I wanted to do an interview with him. And I've only done that once before. And I talked to, you'll love this, Angus Scrim, who played the tall man and uh not psycho uh what is that um so my whole job. angus scrim played the tall man what is oh man what is that movie with the flying ball somebody look it up while i'm doing the show because i can't take the time uh angus scrim he the uh, psycho oh god what was the name of the movie anyway i tracked him down and he spent the whole interview just saying uh i'm kind of a bum I just, I don't know why you're bothering talking to me, you know, um, phantasm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Phantasm. Yes. I want you. And he just kind of under like, ah, he's really humble, self-effacing to the point of, of like it being a disturbing psychological condition. But I really want to track down the guy who played the see the cowboy scene. And, you know, he's, he's actually like a, a theater director that he got. And I said, you know what, I, you know, I need to talk to not him because he did a great job. You know, he did a great job. I could have done a better job, but what I'm what this is not about that. This is about something else. He did a great job. But um, I should track down the guy who wrote it, which is David Lynch. And then asking David Lynch about that scene in any kind of interview scenario would be like the woman who at Beethoven stands up from the piano and one of the rich patrons that pretty much funded these guys said, um, sir, that was a wonderful piece, but what does it mean? And Beethoven looked at her and by way of an answer, 
sat back down and played it again. Because <laughs> that's what it means. That's what it means. So, uh, you know, I, uh, I, uh, I'd like to interview him, the guy who wrote that scene, because it's become the ethos for my life. Would you say to a large degree, the man's attitude in life determines how his life will turn out? Hmm? Could you think about that? Could you do that for me? Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking about it. No, you're not. He's in. You're too busy thinking of trying to be a wise guy. <laughs> I haven't memorized it completely yet. Watch it. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great, it's a great scene. Yeah, his daughter, um, I've, I'm connected to his daughter, uh, Lynch's, but I don't want to be that guy. Hey, can I talk to your dad? It's kind of lame. But I understand he doesn't do, really do email himself, so that's the way it would have to go. So these, these, these are major. Ian Dury and the Blockheads had the record Reason to Be Cheerful. I adopted it for this reason to be reason to be thankful. This is this is major and this is mackerel. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying for for five easy pieces. I'm trying. Oh yeah, it's on a hook. You can't fall. So your drinking game is gonna have to do something else. I've already mentioned Nazis three times during the show. So if your drinking game was a Nazi game, you'd be sort of soused by now. It was based on Nazi Nazi mentions. So this was this was a big this was a big macro thanks that like to realize that to a large degree your attitude line I mean this was so subtle and so long we booked the show six months ago I've been I, I I've been um, I've been maybe unseated for that long I did and it got as we got closer to the show it got stronger and stronger I didn't realize it and I like to credit myself with being a pretty self aware guy. Well, I got a lot of things on my mind. So, what's that other line? Dom DeLuise, 12 chairs. Foolish man that I am, I should not weep, but should instead count my blessings. Count my blessings. He starts sobbing and screams, I don't want to live, and we've come full circle. This is version 192 of the Eugene S. Robinson Show Stomper. I am your host, Eugene S. Robinson, who's got a new lease on life. Everything's beautiful, beautiful from that, uh, what was it, Bobby Digital record. Everything's beautiful, beautiful. Do you know a man named Mr. Greco? You know a man named Mr. Greco? Well, he seems to know you. He's down at State Street singing his ass off. <laughs> yeah, if you want to watch something, somebody just sent it to me. Well worth it. And this is the way to cap off the mafia thing. Watch Michael Francisi and, and Samuel Bogravano go at it on this talk show. The host cleverly decided to sit this one out. You see them on screen. They're like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> and Francisi uses the word like, what is the word? Jeepers. And Sammy Bull Gravano goes, Jeepers. <laughs> and he said, You weren't in the life. Nobody in the life is saying Jeepers about anything. He goes, Oh, now you're going to give me that. Well, who uses the word Jeepers? He goes, College boys like you, college boy. Sammy <laughs> uh, Bull Gravano. Listen, let me tell you, I, I love the mafia life, but it's very unnerving being around guys who are. Not who. Let's see a, a political way to put this. 
not subtle in their graces and really dangerous. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, I mean, I'll meet you somewhere. He's like, oh, come on, we're grown men. What are you going to do? You're going to, you don't understand the life, huh? <laughs> you don't understand. You do know there was a time when guys got killed for less. Anyway, I got to read this guy's book tonight. The uh, the book about for what it's called, what it's worth, uh, about the mafia, the 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 guy who brought down the the Gemini twins, who was the son of a Nazi. I got I got the photos from the book. The guy had it for months. I've been trying to sell a story. I think I have somebody interested in it. It'll be a nice companion to his book. But this is version a one, a nine, a two. The Eugene Rob S. Robinson show stomper. <laughs> <laughs> I did, nerd affiliate. You just showed up. You just showed up. You missed me talking about what I think is a light at the end of the tunnel. Professional level jujitsu backed with this this new boxing rule. I think this has got legs. I think I could successfully disengage. You know, one of the fights they were expecting me to care about coming up next weekend? Clay Guida and Santos. Come on. I'm a big Clay Guida booster, but I don't want to see that. The guy, is, is, his book is not out yet. I'm reading the roughs now to figure out how to help him sell it. How to help him sell it. Anyway, this is version, let me do this Do this right. This is version a one, nine, two. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh, I, I see. Yeah, that's exactly. Clay is Clay Guida is fighting Santos, and I had a dark star moment. Santos, Snake, Snake Pliskin, ain't you dead? <laughs> I thought Santos was. Uh, he's still wow. He's still there. Anyway, thank you for listening. Monday afternoon, you got care don't care. It's just me and Steph because John is off apparently in Minnesota where they don't have technology. I've done this show from the Riverside in Lyon. I've done this show from Copenhagen. I've done this show from 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 or whorehouse in Tokyo. I've done the well, you know. <laughs> but John goes to Minnesota and he can't do the show. Anyway, Monday at noon it goes live. Tuesday night, um, um, Tuesday night it's uh, if the shoes fit with Alexi, uh, Kid Nate, and John Nash. I will not be on it for reasons that we'll talk about next weekend anyway thanks for listening try not to die between now and next week despite what your brain might have you do <laughs> despite what your brain might have you do try to live through this next week we'll be back in the old room uh, i'm gonna lose about 10 pounds in this one uh until then you know how we end the show look what you made me do <laughs> <laughs>